So my question yes. this week, well, one of the many questions is, did you get a new cowboy hat? No, I didn't. It's so funny. It's funny you should say that because I walked, we walked into a boot barn somewhere. I guess it was in North Dakota. And uh, we looked around and they're like, the guy sized us up. And I, I didn't want to be that guy that tries on 400 cowboy hats and then doesn't buy one. So I just looked at all of them. And I just like, I picked them up and inspected them and then put them back. The couple that I was really uh, curious about. And I knew that if I bought it, it would just get crunched in the car. And they're all like Justin boot hats. And I'm sure I could just get one on Amazon. Just figured out what my size in my head was. And that was it. And I just got to figure out what size my head is. But I didn't want to be that guy that tries on like 30 hats and then doesn't buy one and puts them all back because that happens every time. I could just picture mm. you being somebody there that like doesn't necessarily know anything about hats, but trying to look like they know something about hats and they're picking every hat up and being like, oh yeah, oh, this is a, yeah, that's a nice one. Yeah. And then they put it down and they pick up the next one and they're like, oh yeah, this one. Uh. Yeah. Well, the felt hats are like two, three hundred bucks. And then the, I guess, oh, I'm wow. not even sure what it would be called. Maybe it's straw. Like the the bright white ones that you often see like Southern sheriffs wearing. Like the brightly, the bright white, crispy, most they feel like plastic, but they're like straw or something woven. And then, hmm. <clears throat> and then they're, they look like they come out of a mold. Those are like 50 bucks. So I was going to get one of those, but as like I said, I'll just get one online if I ever need to like get a Halloween costume or something. In the meantime, I'll just use my old one. I did not find any guns either. And another, I got to put this to bed straight away. There is no secret collab coming out with me and Will Stelter or me and Alec. Everybody (laughs) is messaging me going, oh, Uh, I can't wait to see the Alec Steele video that you're about to put out. I was like, no, no, that's not happening. I didn't, I, I did not reach out to anybody along the route. Accidentally, we were in Chicago two days ago, and the FabTech was on. And so Stu texted me and said, are you going to be at FabTech? And I was like, when is it? I didn't even know because my advertisers didn't go because of, of COVID. Everybody didn't put on a big, big, big FabTech presence this year. And so I didn't even know about it. I thought it was always in November, but apparently it was uh, September 13th. I checked, and so Tail decided to stop and see her mom for a little bit. So JD, on a whim, JD from uh, Apex Welding, he sent me a message. He says, are you in Chicago? I said, how did you know? He goes, I just guessed because I knew you were driving in this direction. And he thought I was going to FabTech, too. So anyway, I said, I'm not going to FabTech, but let's hang out. So me and Stu and and, uh, Chad and JD and Taylor, we hung out for a couple hours just to say hi and get a selfie, and that was it. So that was the only, like, YouTube meetup thing that I did on the whole two-week trip. Other than that, it was just me and Taylor, and we did meet up with some friends in Bozeman, Montana. A girlfriend of mine from the Lower East Side lives in Bozeman now with her husband and her kid, and so we went and spent a couple days with them. Halfway in the middle of the trip, it was funny because we were all a little uptight about getting everything ready to go and getting everything put into the truck, and and uh, I just said, we'll just figure it out on the road. Let's just let's just go on the road. We'll figure it out on the road. And so when we got to Bozeman, I was like, okay, now it's time for new tires. So we got new tires put on the truck in Bozeman. And uh, yeah, because the tires were, I just, I, obviously you don't want to blow out when you pull in a trailer and all that other stuff. And so I was like, you know what, just to make extra sure. And then the, an engine light came on while we were driving and we had that fixed in Chicago. So we we kind of had this mentality of like we're getting on a plane. I'm like, no, we're getting in a car. We could stop literally every 20 feet and get whatever it is we need. 
and so we did that. But uh, all, all in, it was a very successful trip. I, I had a lot of good ideas. I cleared my mind. I didn't worry about much. I had some people here taking care of the house and the animals. And we, we went through, I'll just give you the quick list off the top of my head. We went through Devil's Tower, Cody, Wyoming, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We hiked a big hike in Jackson Hole, Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, Bozeman, Butte, Missoula, Glacier National Park. And then we drove all across the top of Montana, all the way back to here. And we spent a night in Teddy Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota to see the buffalo and the wild horses, which we never saw the horses. And that's when the check engine light came on. And along the route from North Dakota to Chicago, we called a couple of Jeep dealers, but they kept blowing us off. They're like, if the light's a steady yellow, don't worry about it. That's what they all said. <laughs> said is it blinking? Is it red? Is the light red or is it blinking? I'm like, no, no. They're like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> So when we got to Chicago, we got it properly fixed. It was just uh, one of the spark plugs had fouled and the, the coil wire needed to be replaced. But it wasn't a big deal. But overall, we got in late last night at about 10, 30, 11. And uh, I'm just doing my laundry this morning right away. We're having a new barn built in the backyard. It's something I was going to do last year. We were going to have like a big timber framing thing, but COVID kind of squashed that because some guys could come, some guys couldn't come. So we hired a local guy and... The local guy is building the frame, and today he's been working on it since, like, June. And so today he's starting the uh, what he's prepping the site for the assembly of the frame. And I'll Instagram all that and make a YouTube video of that when it comes. But it's, not, it's obviously not my personal construction, but it is very curious to watch and see. So he's building a big post frame in the back, and uh, that's going to be fun. So we're going to have a new building on the lot. And Taylor keeps saying, she, Taylor set it up. She designed the whole thing. She set it up so that in case we decide we don't want horses at one point, we could turn the whole building into like a house and apartment. So it's got all oh, proper plumbing yeah. and the flooring and everything. She did all the f- plumbing and under the concrete and did it all herself. So it's going to be a big fancy bathroom wow. in there. It'll be the only four-stall horse barn with a beautiful open shower floor plan. It's going to be nice. <laughs> you could probably advertise for like horse toilets. And like people could come from miles around. Anthony just looked. She talked about Lewis. He just turned his head. Yeah. So it's uh, that's that project we started more than a year ago with the foundation, and so you know, starting this week, the frame's going to start going up probably at the end of the month, and then I have to do my deck. I have to finish my deck video, my trailer video. It's funny. I edited the trailer video while we were driving. And every time I moved, the hard drive became disconnected. So I figured out an interesting trick for you YouTubers that need to edit on the road. Do a real rough cut, export it, and then just edit the rough cut. So I, <laughs> I, I developed a whole rough cut and put all the information that I would want to pull and push from in that rough cut, which was about 40 minutes long. And then I refined the rough cut with no hard drive, just had to localize <laughs> on the computer. And so then when I got it good and I put my voice over in it, it was time to upload it. That was a very funny day. That was the day we were going into Jackson Hole. And I was uploading it off the hotspot on my phone. And you know when you, you hit upload and you watch the percentage go like, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And then it goes all the way up to, to 100%. Maybe it might take an hour or some, you know, if you have good internet, it'll take 30 minutes. And this is like a 35-minute video. It was literally like 1%, like every 20 minutes. 
<laughs> so the entire time the upload, and then now I was like thirsting for for a plug to plug in the computer, and there was no way to plug the computer in, and so we finally got. I kept, and this is another trick I learned. Maybe you guys know this. Maybe you don't. If you don't close the browser, but you close the computer, when you open it up later, it'll still start to upload. So if you're in the middle of a YouTube mm-hmm. upload and you just close the computer or put it to sleep, I suppose, it won't interrupt the upload. When you open it up again, the computer will find internet and then start pulling from the file again and uploading it to YouTube. So it took me almost 13 hours to upload that video throughout the day. I kept closing the computer and opening it, closing because if I had good service, I'd open the computer. If I had bad service, I'd close it because I didn't want to sap the battery life. And we were in a pizza place in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, I was like plugged into the wall waiting for our table when the thing finally, finally uploaded. So I was like an idiot walking around with my computer in the middle of a restaurant with a thousand people in it. My head buried. I'm like, I kept saying, 94. I was like all excited to tell, like 95. I just went to 95. You see you walking around a restaurant holding your laptop and being like, don't worry, I work on the internet. Just so everybody knows. Just so everybody knows. Yeah, I'm a professional so YouTuber. I was- it's okay. I was curious about the uh, the trailer. How was the trailer? The trailer was great. The trailer was really fun to pull, and we had a lot of stuff in it. We basically built a whole kitchen. The kitchen's already built into it, but we utilized the whole kitchen with food. So everywhere we stopped, we had a little snack. We flip open the back. A lot of people said we look like uh, doomsday preppers because of the <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's like this Humvee-looking thing made by Oregon Trailers. It's, uh, it's really cool. And uh, those guys were great. They, they were kind of like right there the whole time I was driving. I was texting with them and asking them information about it and sending them pictures. Got some really good pictures. There's going to be some really cool scenery when I end, ultimately end up doing a vlog. It was uh, it was fun. We, we didn't sleep in it every night. We slept in it kind of intermittently because we stayed at friends occasionally. We stayed at Taylor's mom's house a couple nights. And we stayed uh, at a couple of hotels along the way. One night in particular, we pulled into... Uh, this was the night we got to Jackson Hole campsite. There's campsites all around the United States that are free, but you drive in and in the middle of the night, you try and find a space to park. And we, we weren't always successful. There wasn't always a place to park. So we'd have to just kind of pull up somewhere where we weren't going to be disturbed. So this particular night, by the time we got in the park, I had passed like 18 signs that said, watch out for bears. Bears are real. Bears will kill you. Don't mess with bears, have bear spray, don't have food. If you have food, you're going to get eaten. You know, like, and so by the time we parked, I just like, I'm the back of the camper is full of food. And Taylor's like, let's go in the camp. I'm like, I don't want to sleep in the camper because it's like <laughs> sleeping in the food locker. And yeah. And now we got in parked at like 1am. So like she was like half asleep. She's like, let's go to the camper. I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I want to sleep in the car because the car's you know, I, I could hop in the driver's seat and drive away from a bear attack. If we're in that back thing and a bear attack happens, we're just sitting ducks. There's nothing we could do. We could just assume which side the thing is on and escape through the opposite side while he's making himself an omelet on the back of the thing. I said, like, <laughs> <laughs> let's just sleep in the car. So we slept in the car, which Taylor always has the car prepped to like take a nap. And anyway, there's like a mattress in the back and stuff when we go on trips. And so we're laying in the back and now it's like five in the morning and I hear this. I hear, I'm like, oh my God, there's a bear. He wants to cook. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, there's a bear outside. And my, my heart immediately started racing. It sounded just like there was a bear outside. And I, it's absolutely dead quiet. And I just hear this. And this could get confusing because my dog's name is Bear. And 
I'm looking, so I'm laying there like frozen. Like there's a bear outside the window. Any minute I'm going to see a bear claw come through the one inch crack in the window. And I finally realized bear, my dog is sitting on the front seat, looking out the window going. <laughs> so I was laying there for like a solid 10 minutes thinking that that was it because I didn't want to move. I was just looking straight up at the car ceiling. I thought there was a bear wandering around outside the car, like groaning and groveling, but it was my dog bear groaning and groveling at a deer or something. So that was extremely no reason to be scared, but <clears throat> the misunderstanding of maybe I was about to experience a bear encounter was super nerve wracking, but we did not ever see a bear. Unfortunately, you should have woken up the next morning and be like, Taylor, there was a bear inside with us last night. <laughs> I did tell the whole story. Just to see if she- the whole time she was like, she was, you're being paranoid. There's no reason to worry. I'm like, I don't know. We passed like 85 signs while you were sleeping that said bear attack eminent. You are going to be eaten. If you're from New York, don't even think about trying to be cool. <laughs> don't be a hero. Yeah. There was a sign that said you, you New Yorker, you are going to get eaten by a bear. Don't take this for granted. It doesn't granted. matter if you're wearing a Carhartt shirt or not. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so there was a couple of funny uh, ones like that. Awesome. I'm glad it was a good trip. It was a good trip. And, uh, and uh, we had a nearly, we nearly set the Jeep on fire, but I'll tell you that story after. I'll take a breather. <laughs> Speaking of. <laughs> yeah. So yesterday I got, uh, I, I bought my dad's old 1967 Chevy Impala off my Uncle Paul. And Uncle Paul lives about 40 miles away. And I was driving the car home. Like super excited. I'm like, this is this is my the car project. is like the What's car that? is like minty. It's like minty. It's, it's like minty. Like that's what people say when the car is like almost perfect. It needs a little it, no. Bit of- the the inside is almost minty. Like the inside is really nice. It's got uh, the carpets are redone. The seats are in near mint condition. Some things could be replaced on the dash. Um, the steering wheel has some worn things, but the inside is. Pretty, pretty nice. That's the what I'm outside, saying. Minty means like, you know, not 100%, but like yeah. 80 to 90, which which for me is perfect. And then the outside, it got painted, I'm assuming, I think, like in the early 80s. And there's no there's no more gloss to it. The, the clear coat is, is gone. And it was probably just a one-stage paint job back then. So it didn't really have much of a clear coat. And it's got primer spots all around the car to keep it from rusting but and then there's one little spot that does have rust but for the most part the body's in good condition it just needs a really good paint job some things re-chrome some emblems replace so it's um you could if, if you had time you could spend a couple months on it get it into a car show um yeah. but i don't have the time so it's going to be a, a long process so um not minty, but but in the range. Mint like, chocolate chip. Yeah. People will look at it when you drive by. How about that? Sure. Um, <laughs> so I, that, that could be an identifier, identifier for a lot right, of things. Right, right, right. So on the way home, uh, I'm probably, it's a 40-minute drive. I'm probably 15 minutes from home. Uh, and the car catches fire. And... Uh, so every once in a while, the car would miss. Like it would. Like my uncle Paul says, somebody's 
told him that he they, they thought like a valve was sticking. So the car it happened twice on on the thirty minute drive where it would it would just miss. It felt like the car was going to die and it came and it came right back and it was very jarring. Well, it did that and then immediately after that, I saw smoke come out from underneath the hood. Pulled over right away. My camera Dan is behind me in his truck, so he's with me the whole time. And pop the hood. And I know I, I slowly open the hood because I don't want to introduce a whole bunch of oxygen into this fire at one time. So I kind of slowly open the hood. And then there is the, the air filter is on fire. Dan runs across the street to the gas station. I run into this window shop. I can't. And it was like this big woodworking shop. I was like, oh, look at all these woodworking tools. But I can't find anybody. And so I just grab one of their fire extinguishers. And on the way out of the building, I'm like, can I use this? And he's like, go, go, go. And I run to the car and I, I put out the fire and I'm, look, I'm looking around like, there doesn't seem to be much damage. It just seems to be the, the air cleaner. Cop stops. Cop then calls the fire department. Fire department comes out and um, cops, the, the, the cop and the fire department guy, they were both like super awesome. They're like, you got really lucky. Looks like 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 the cop is. She's drooling over the car. She's like, "This is a nice car," and I'm like, "I'm in panic mode. Like, I don't want to talk about how nice the <laughs> car is." Was the air cleaner right exposed? Was it like a like an Edelbrock where it has like the top and bottom shell? Exactly, like the chrome yeah. Edelbrock, and then you could see the the pleats the of the air filter along the side. Yeah. So, um, I call a tow truck. I it took like four calls to find a towing company because everybody is hours out and i finally found somebody but they were still hours out so we're waiting this guy comes up and he's like and he's in this classic restored jeep and he's like everything cool and i told him what happened and he's like don't worry this is the thing that happens it's it's probably something really simple so he like really calmed me down he's like it's it's probably perfectly fine it'll probably start right back up um but you don't want to because you have fire extinguisher particulates all over the place um and uh so he's like you need any help i'm like no i got a tow so he leaves an hour later he comes back um and i was like hey is that your shop right there and he's like yeah and he's like can you help me with this and he's like sure but i have to go drop off this car so i'll be back in an hour so um i cancel the tow we wait around for an hour and a half he comes back and then he he walks me through his process of what what could go wrong or what possibly could have gone wrong. He's showing me all the things that he's checking, and we find out that we have a mutual friend uh, together, like like some like connecting with this Jeep restoration guy, and he's got a really cool shop full of amazing tools. And so I'm like drooling over his shop, and he finds the problem. He laughs. He's like. Found it. Here it is. So there is a vacuum hose behind the, the the carburetor that doesn't have a cap on it. So there is just a huge vacuum leak. But the car was running fine. So what that told him was the carburetor was tuned to the bad vacuum leak. So that's why the car ran fine. So when he put his finger over the hole, he's like, listen, the car wants to stall and die. And I was like, okay. So he's like, what we're going to do is we're going to put this 20 cent cap over the vacuum. And then we're just going to retune the carburetor. We're going to put on a new air filter 
and you're going home. <laughs> and I was like, and it was, it, it was, it was amazing. Um, I told him like, this is a thing that I'm getting into. He knew I just got the car that day. And um, he, he was very kind and explaining the entire process to me of what he was doing and why he was doing it. He got a, a vacuum gauge that he plugged into the, the carburetor and he's showing me um, how he's tuning the carb. Cause there's two screws to, to tune the, the mixture and he's looking at the vacuum and he's like, you want to be, you want to try to find the most vacuum that you can get. And so he's tuning the two screws and he's showing me like, you see how that needle's bouncing a little bit. That means there's still a slight vacuum leak somewhere, but it's, it's not bad. You're good. You're going to be fine. And then we, we adjust the idle and we, the, the car came with a whole bunch of old parts. So I had the, I had the old original air cleaner. So we put that in a really old, dirty air filter, put that in, fired right up and I was on my way home. But it was like such a such an emotional day of like, I can't believe I got this car. This is amazing. To I my car is on fire and I'm gonna lose it all. <laughs> and, um and but it was one of those happy accidents because I, I think I found my my guy, my motor guy who can help me out with these things. And um, of course, he charged me for his time and and I was so grateful and I tipped him 20 bucks. So it was like one hundred and seventy dollars well spent. And it was a good education. And it was I, I learned yeah. it was just it's one of those things that's more common than you think with with these old cars. Uh, so it was what a day. And to top it off. Uh, this car probably has not been driven in the rain in 30 years. We had the worst monsoon rainstorm I've ever driven in in my entire life. So it's nighttime by this time. It's it's 1030 and rain is just pouring down. I have not eaten since noon. I am exhausted from the emotional roller coaster. I just want to be home. The headlights are like candles. Like they, they, they barely do anything. <laughs> the wipers don't do anything. The windows are yeah, falling Those old up. cars are horrible with yeah. wipers and, and, and lights. <laughs> I can't figure out how to defrost the windows because the dash lights are not working and I can't see anything. So I'm wiping the window down every few minutes. Water is dripping on my arm. So there's a, there's a seal uh, that needs to be replaced in the door. It was just the, it was like driving through the worst winter storm I'd ever been in a car with 30 year old tires. It's just hydroplaning everywhere. I just wanted to be home. And it was this terrible storm and it turned out everything was perfectly fine. I, I lost 170 bucks, but I got a really good education. So it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's huge yeah, to have somebody really like in your time of need, somebody to walk you through fixing the specific thing and explain it. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Like if I would have had that car towed home, I, I, I don't know that I would have found that leak. Somebody else would have, I would have had to taken it somewhere and somebody else. So it was, it was really one of those like happy accident things. And I'm so glad I broke down where I broke down. Yeah. That's great. How does it, I mean, cause you've driven, I, I believe you've driven like pretty modern cars for a long time now. Yeah. So how does it handle relative to what you're used to, Where, you know, over the past several years? Very, 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 very different. So there's a lot of <clears throat> play in the steering wheel. Um, so like you're driving down the highway and you know, like when you mimic the driving motion, you, you shake your arms. That's actually how this car drives. Cause there's, there's, there's a lot of play before it actually turns, but when it does turn, it feels like you could just whip the steering wheel and let it turn. Like the power steering on there is 
amazing. So the steering feels completely different. There's no power brakes. So it's you you really have to press on the brake. And unlike on any modern car, your accelerator and your brake are, are right there and they're even with each other. This one, the brake is way up. So you really have to like lift up your leg and knee to hit the brake. And that's a weird thing to get used to. Like if you're in an emergency, you just can't flip your foot over. You have to do a leg movement. Um, and it's it's fairly powerful. So I've never driven anything with, with real power. I have a Honda truck. And when I hit the accelerator, it like, oh, you... Thinks about it for a minute. Yeah, it thinks about it for a minute. <laughs> so um, yeah, it drives completely different. So it's not so different where I was scared to drive it. Uh, but it was just like, this is, this takes some getting used to. And I didn't want to, because it was so different, I didn't drive the highway home. I took smaller roads, uh, the long way home. And I'm thinking goodness I did, because that would have happened on Route 75 or 475. Like, I, the car could have just caught on fire and then that would have been it, because there would have been no access to a fire extinguisher. And I am now going to keep a fire extinguisher in the car. Oh, yeah. Anytime I have those old cars that I've been playing around with, I always keep a fire extinguisher at hand just because if it goes, it goes. Also, the carburetor, another quick, simple fix is if your carburetor goes on fire, you can just put a towel over it. It'll, It'll quell the choke fire it quickly. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of gas fire that's in the carburetor, you can just choke it right out. Yeah. A towel or a rag. One time I had a conversation with um, Craig from Barefoot Forge. And we started talking about fire extinguishers. And so he, you know, has a blacksmith shop and he has people come in all the time and he teaches them how to forge rings. And they, you know, so he has people come through the shop all the time. So he started talking about fire extinguishers and how, you know, you need to have a certain number of them per, uh, like, square footage so that they're always accessible. And then he started talking about his vehicles because he restores or collects um, these old Westphalia Volkswagen Mm -hmm buses kind of van things and just after talking to him for like 10 or 15 minutes i'm like i'm gonna go buy a load of fire extinguishers <laughs> and i'm gonna put them everywhere in the shop i have them put everywhere. one in the land cruiser i always just have them. everywhere yeah I, and so like the other day i ended up actually refreshing some of them and buying a few but i did get one for the car that's a little like 16 ounce looking i don't know what the actual size is but it's a very small little handheld thing um, that you could easily put underneath the driver's seat or, mm. you know, you can hide it away really easily to have it in a car with you. So, yeah. Anytime I'm about to weld or use the torch or something, I always keep a fire extinguisher nearby. Uh, <clears throat> there was one time we were on the TV set and we, uh, we had a, a torch going with an open flame, like with it locked on and somebody sprayed canned air and it went, whew, made a huge fireball. Nobody expected that. So, and it set something on fire, which was able to be squashed almost immediately. But, you know, if it hit some other propellant, something else that could have gone on fire, like mm. acetone or something, it would have been a big problem. But uh, when we when we went into the show this year, this is just a little bit of takeaway for everybody. <clears throat> and now I don't have my information correct because Aaron did half my thinking when it came to important stuff. But... When the show was beginning and we were collecting fire extinguishers to put on set, Aaron said, we don't need regular fire extinguishers. We need, now probably this is where my technology is off. I forget what it was. O2. We need, uh, we can maybe Google this while on the show. <clears throat> and he said, the difference is if there's a fire and somebody pulls the powder one, which is the one you buy like at Home Depot, it'll create a huge powder ball 
It'll ruin cameras. It'll ruin equipment that's sensitive to electronics. This one, it 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 uh, uh, takes the oxygen away from the fire and does not leave a residue. He said, and he demanded that the show buy those for the set. Hmm. And when he explained to them, he goes, if you want to be cheap and buy the ones that you can get at Home Depot, because they're obviously like three times more expensive, and they're bigger and they have the big tube on the front. So if you see in my shop, the ones with the big tube. And Friday, I'll send some pictures out on Instagram to show what it is. But And then I'll also show the tag so we could see exactly what it is. But the difference between the two fire extinguishers, and, and Aaron was trained in all this. I'm not trained in any of this. So I'm probably talking out of my butt. But the big difference was when he explained to the producer, if Jimmy or somebody has a fire in the shop and we pull the fire extinguishers and then there's white powder on everything, including the cameras and the sound equipment, it'll most likely be destroyed. If you use these fire extinguishers, it'll extinguish the fire and there won't be any residue hardly. And then they're like, okay. And then they ran and we bought like five of them to have around the shop. So it's probably CO2. I'm looking at types of, yeah. yeah. So there's water, dry powder, which is, and foam are probably the two types that most commonly get. Then there's CO2 and then a wet chemical, which is, I don't know what that specifically is, but the CO2 is what it was for much. I have a CO2 next to my leg. I guess it just pushes all the oxygen away from where the fire is, I guess. Yeah. That's cool. It's good to know. Was not aware. I learned something. Well, David, I'm really glad you got your car, man. Yeah. I, I'm sorry it caught on fire, but I'm glad it wasn't worse than it was. <laughs> yeah, I have a lifetime <laughs> of projects ahead of me. I have been yeah. um I've been studying uh bodywork and, and painting for the last two weeks now. I, I took an online course. Um and it's it, it's been awesome. So I'm going to you know it's, it's, it's going to be quite an investment getting the things that I need, but I'm going to over the, I'm not going to do anything until the spring. So, but I'm going to cut my teeth on restoring old toolboxes and stuff and, and learning how to primer and spray and, and fix body work on things like that while I can. Yeah. Well, share what resources you have, because like I'm right in the middle of that too. Um, so, you know, the body work I'm doing is not going to be for a while, but I'm trying to kind of bone up on the information beforehand. The, the class that I took, it's, Silly name. It's called paintucation.com. And um, the, the host is Kevin uh, Tetz, T-E-T-Z. He's hosted some various car and truck shows on various cable channels. He's like the face of, um, what's the name of the con- Eastwood. But and he has he has his own oh. restoration shop. So he's like a paint expert. He has a course online that you can take. And I forget what the price is. It might be three or four hundred dollars, but totally worth it because he walks you through everything step by step. Um, a, an, a great education on why you would get this or why you wouldn't get this, and 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 the steps that you need to take. So, I highly recommend cool. that course. Very cool. All right. Um, well, anything else? Have you been working on anything other other than? Yes. Putting out fires? <laughs> um, I think I met, briefly mentioned it a couple weeks ago, but I'm working on some neon signs. That video might come out on, on Friday. We're almost done with that. So there's that. What are you yeah, doing that's with all neon? I want to are, you, uh, are you actually uh, making neon or are you just re- oh, it's a, it's an LED. rehousing it? Oh, okay. It's an LED neon um, using uh, and, and freehand routing the groove. Oh, cool. To make different designs and stuff. So uh, it's quick little fun video oh, we, it's funny we were actually talking about doing that with i think the same led that you're going to use um here in the shop we were talking about using it for something in the future and 
it like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I feel like David said something about doing an LED neon thing, but it's been a while since you mentioned that. Yeah, I got. I think I got and distracted so with uh, the toolbox and okay. and the and the trapper keeper projects and stuff, which were super cool. Thank by you. the way, that Thank was you. the trapper keeper was really awesome. It's funny because my kids uh, keep asking for trapper keepers, <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't know where they heard about them or saw <laughs> them or. Jenny has one, I think, from when she was in like middle school. She still has it floating around, but I don't know why my kids want them. But their schools won't let them have them. They're very specific about what they get to oh, wow. carry around. Well, it's weird. I mean, totally left field here, but like with COVID times, the uh, locker situation has changed. It's kind of like in flux whether they get to have lockers or not. So mm-hmm. now they have to carry backpacks, which means they have to have a very specific set of stuff oh, with them all the time. Okay. And, you know, whatever. <clears throat> Anyway, um, well, for me this week, I did dovetails. No way. For the first time. Yep. How'd you do it? I saw. I, mean, I, used, a, I saw. I used a jig. A thing on Instagram. <laughs> when the jig yeah, works, no. it's so perfect. Uh, yeah, it was great. Uh, it was the jig from Rockler, and basically, I just had to make some trays for our kitchen for the cabinets that we had made. We needed some like interior trays that didn't have drawer fronts on them, and so I figured if we were going to do that, I may as well make them you know, they're going to be exposed when you open the doors. So instead of plywood, I used cherry. So I started with some rough sawn cherry because we have this giant pile of it. Um, and so it was like milling down to half inch material, dovetailing these little boxes. And then, and they're, they're actually not little, they're huge. They're 30 or 28 inches deep because those cabinets are especially deep. And so uh, they're just these, shallow really deep trays and did six of them in two cabinets and you know solid uh cherry they look really nice and the dovetails add they're half blind so they add like a really nice feature to them when you pull them out so when you look at the front it's all just flat panels and then when you pull out you see the half dovetail on the side and and yeah you're right once you get the jig set up it's like incredibly easy it's 30 minutes or so of tuning and (laughs) yeah you know getting it right and then it's just 10 minutes of cutting all of them. I mean, it, it took no time at all. And granted, they're they're like four inches, so it's only a couple of pins per, you know, corner. Uh, but it took no time at all. It was pretty awesome. And so the thing is, with the video, I know I'm going to make some people mad because the the outsides, the four sides of the thing are solid cherry with dovetails. And then the bottom is half-inch plywood with pocket holes. So I used both on the same project. <laughs> That's okay with me. I, I won't it. tell anybody. Yeah. yeah I, well, everybody's going to know, but I appreciate that. <laughs> no one's going to know. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, like they're from know. the underside, like it was easier know. than doing, cutting a, a dado, you know? I mean, it just made sense. Like, why wouldn't you use pocket holes? But in the video, I kind of was like, okay, this is where I'm going to lose some of you. I, I recognize that. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. It's totally but, okay. Yeah. And it, I mean, for what it is, it's one of those situations where for the, the use case, perfectly fine, completely invisible, you know, and they work great. So, uh, but it was a fun thing to learn something new. Setting up the dovetail jig was not difficult, just took a little patience. And now I have a new thing that I can use in the future. So not that I ever, ever, ever want to make drawers again oh for the rest goodness. of my life. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. I will at some point. I've made drawers a few times. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. I recently did that project on Rockler where I made a, a gentleman's 
I made it for a client, but uh, and it's still sitting in my shop. It needs to be delivered to him in Boston. It's a uh, he's a photographer, so he wanted like a print station. So we did some, you know, together we worked on the concept of having some laser cut images of camera pattern drawings in the top. So if you guys haven't seen that on Rockler, I posted that in the beginning of the summer. And uh, but I had to make drawers and cabinets and oh man, it's it's the I, I, I've never been fully diagnosed as dyslexic, but <clears throat> something's wrong with me because I will literally measure something 15 times and then I'll go get lunch. I'll come back. I'll measure it for the 17th time. And I will have like inverted, like, you know, I always 56 and 65 constantly. So if I have to cut, I'll, I'll cut like the only piece of stock I have to 56 when it should have been 65. Cause I look at the ruler right side up and upside down and, you know, like I will check the numbers a hundred times. And then the last time I check them, it's completely wrong and it's already cut. Like, how did I just like, I literally just looked at the, the ruler 20 times because I know I would could potentially make this mistake and I made the mistake hmm. every time. It's like, literally, it's like, it's like a magic trick. It's like, there's a ghost here and you tell everybody there's a ghost there and then everybody walks away and the ghost shows up and I'm like, I see, I told you there was a ghost here, but nobody's here to see it. That's exactly what it's like when I mess up with numbers on rulers. So whenever I do a project like that, where I have to constantly, you'll notice my rulers have Sharpie marks all over them. Because I don't trust my memory. I don't trust what I think I'm looking at. I will literally just draw a Sharpie line or a circle around the number or whatever. So I did that on that project. But I didn't include it in the video. It was just frustrating. But uh, it just reminds me why I like welding so much. What? Why? Because I don't have to... Because you can just add more material? <laughs> yeah, because I can just weld and grind and weld and grind. Yeah. Have I ever told you about the thing I, I always do? And we call it pulling a bob around here <laughs> so like so when you look i know it's a terrible name but it works so when you're looking at, at a tape if if i'm measuring something and it's the measurement the actual point where it crosses the tape is three and three quarters when i look at that i see the closest number which is four and then i see the actual location which is three quarters and so in my mind it goes oh it's four and three quarters it's actually oh, three and three I've numbers, done but that. I saw those numbers together. And so then I will, and depending on whether that, that remainder, that three quarters is closer to the higher number, or if it's a quarter and it's closer to the lower number, it depends on which way I cut it an inch in the wrong direction. And I do it constantly. Oh. <laughs> I used to do it That's like why you got every a single time. You got a Sharpie line. And so now I, I, I try to, I'm more aware of that. I just do that when I'm being quick. And so I try to be a little more cautious and like, you know, look at the number and then I go, oh, it's not the five that's right next to it. It's not the four that's right next to it. It's the, you know, previous whatever. But yeah, we call that pulling a bob because I'll often have a piece and I'm like, why is this an inch too short? And it's always exactly an inch Hmm. because of that reason. There is uh, sometimes on a ruler, on the top of the ruler where there's numbers, and especially if it's a ruler that I like, like if it's something that I like, I find is attractive and well-designed, I won't mar it up. So I'll just put a dot. I'll put a Sharpie dot on the number side. Occasionally, if the, the pull tab at the end of the ruler is good for both sides, like the top and bottom, I'll pull it upside down, and then I just draw completely on the bottom of the ruler where there's no markings with a Sharpie. So the bottom of my rulers have lots of marks on them so that I could draw and huh. be like, you know, it basically it's like a roll-up story stick in a way. Yeah. So you'll see like, and sometimes occasionally I'll put tape. If it's like a new project and it's really important, I'll put a little bit of blue tape on the bottom, like three feet of the ruler because it's all new marks. And then I'll peel it off later. But that's a hot tip. That's a good tip right there. Yeah. There you go. 
That's why you would listen wow. to this whole episode of us telling personal stories yeah. for that. <laughs> I, have we talked about your fire story yet? No, no. Oh, so we would drive. Well, real quick, I want to hear that though before yeah. we leave the ruler thing. Yeah. Now. Do you know the difference between a rule and a ruler? This was not something I was. Well, aware rulers of. don't run with scissors. A ruler is something you measure with. <laughs> no, that's not it. I do not also know. true, but not what I was thinking. A rule, the end of it starts at zero. A ruler has a little blank space at the beginning of the thing before the numbers start. Hmm. Okay, so nerd. Who told you that? I have both of those floating around, <laughs> and I love the rules. I hate the rulers. Yes, I hate rulers. For particular reason. Rules are so much more so expensive, you know though. Yeah, that's true. That's funny. All right, what'd you catch on fire? Oh, so you guys saw my story. I didn't want to show this part of the story. I figured uh, I don't want anybody to think I was that much of a complete idiot. So we we had a trailer brakes. This this device has trailer brakes. The Oregon Trail has trailer brakes and electronic trailer brakes. If you if you have a trailer, if the trailer is under a certain weight limit, it does not have trailer brakes. If it's over a certain weight limit, it has electronic trailer brakes, and they get activated when you step on the pedal in the car. But come to find out, you know, taken for granted that the Jeep has a trailer hitch and a plug. Like day the day before we were about to go, I look under the trailer. I look under the Jeep which we're taking the trailer with, and there's no connector for the lights or the brakes. And Tails like I don't know. And I call my buddy Rob Rojas, who's a Jeep enthusiast. I said, Jeep, why, uh, Jeep. I said, Rob, why are there no plugs on the back of the Jeep? He goes, Oh, they don't come with it. You gotta, you gotta have them installed. So I went and I got a thing, and then I realized that's only a four pin. So, blah blah. Long story short, we ended up leaving with no trailer brakes because a four pin to a seven pin. I learned everything there is to learn about trailer brakes. So now we're in Bozeman and we had no brakes. We went up and down some pretty treacherous hills. There was one point where we pulled over on the side of some highway in uh, 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 in Jackson Hole, up and down some crazy mountain in the middle of the night. Then in the daytime when we went, we're like, oh my God, I can't believe what we were driving on last night in the middle of the night. You drive on these roads at night and you don't know what it looks like. And in the day you drive on them again and you're like, unbelievable views, you know, like hundreds of feet drop-offs on the side of the roads. You don't realize where you are. So the next morning, we like, we definitely need trailer brakes. We get to Bozeman and we go, we had a very funny experience. Now, I'm only saying this for the three people that have ever been to Big Sky RV in Montana. Big Sky <laughs> RV. We go in and there's a kid, I swear to God, looks like he's 11 years old. And I was like, hey, um, I need trailer brakes. He's like, what, what kind of trailer you got? I was like, What's the size? He's talking to me with this authority, like he's a, he's like a fifty five year old man, and I just started laughing, and Taylor started laughing. I'm like, this kid looks like a human being that's like Benjamin Buttoning. Like he had like the experience in the presence of like a fifty sixty year old man, but he was like fourteen, and. And he basically, like, I didn't answer his questions correctly. He goes, can't help you. And I just started laughing, and me and Taylor just walked out of the store. I was like. Uh. Did I just get punked by like an 11 year old being like with the voice of like an adult? It was so funny. It was like one of these experiences you had to be there to appreciate it. So we go outside and I'm like, I guess they, they can't do it. They can't connect the wires, whatever. And then Taylor's like, let me, let's, let me, I always send Taylor in to do something. I'm like, you go in, you're a girl, you get treated better. She comes out with a different sales rep and he's got this electronic thing, which is like a, a Bluetooth. It plugs between the car and the trailer. It goes in between the plugs. And it sends the braking impulse to the car. Somehow, it picks up like the pulse of the brake light and turns that into an electronic pulse to, to trigger the brakes. And you could adjust the power on the app. 
And he said, the only thing is you're going to need to run is the 12 volt wire to the seven pin. And there was three wires connected out of the seven pin, which I didn't know where they went. So that's why we didn't have trailer brakes. And so we stop at a, he gives us the thing we buy. It's like 200 bucks. I buy it and we go to uh, uh, just a, a Napa auto and I pick up wire. And now the next morning we're leaving, it's dark now. And I'm in the driveway at, at uh, Dave's shop, the Dave, the, my buddy from Brooklyn, who we're staying with. And I'm laying on his gravel driveway trying to run a wire from the battery. So you got to have a constant 12 volt from the battery. I figure out which is the wire sticking out of the seven pin. And I run the wire all the way through the car, the best I can avoiding everything hot. Because I can't, I'm like literally laying on my back in the gravel at 11 o'clock at night. I do the best I can and I hump over the muffler. And there's nowhere to zip tie anything to. I just kind of give enough slack so that it kind of stays up in the air, like over the the frame hump. There's nowhere to zip tie anything to. I like weave what I can, wrap around stuff. And I was like, when I get to New York, I'll redo all this. And so we were driving for like three days. And now we're in North Dakota and it's like one in the morning. We're looking for a campsite for this Teddy Roosevelt Park. And Taylor like whips a U-turn and the whole entire car fills with like acrid smoke. I'm like, was that us? She's like, I don't think so. I think it was that truck that just drove by. I'm like, well, that truck should be on fire. I look and the truck's not on fire. And I'm like, maybe we're on fire. And she's like, I don't know why we'd be on fire. She just like opens the windows and lets the smell go out of the car. And I'm like, <laughs> something is burning. And now I'm like, but there's no smoke. And I'm like, and then the smell goes away. And so then we drive like three miles. We have to make this big U-turn. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just check. Please pull over. And she pulls over and I open the hood up. And the wire that I connected directly to the battery is like glowing red and melting a hole through the top of the battery. And I go to grab it. And of course, I burn seven fingers trying to pull it. (laughs) And I pull out my ice pick. And in a huff, I grab the wire with my ice pick, like kind of like I tee through it. And I just yank and break the wire. So the brakes were working the whole time. I said, are the brakes working? She's like, yeah, they work fine. So the brakes are working. So the 12 volt wire melted on the muffler and ground, grounded on the muffler from the muffler, like 10 feet to the battery. So that was just a a wire with literally ash on it. The (laughs) red housing, it turned to ash. From the muffler back to the connection on the car, the wire was perfect because the short was happening between the muffler and the battery. And the wire was like red hot and I, my only saving, so I broke it and it stopped and then we didn't have trailer brakes, which was fine because from that point on we were mostly flat. But lesson learned, don't take the muffler area for granted, but there was no place to zip tie to. And like I said, I was just doing this like on the side of the road in my buddy's driveway trying to figure out how to at least get through. So the... The good thing is, is that the wire wasn't bundled with anything. If it was bundled with other wires, it would have made a complete mm. mess of the wiring harness. I, to be perfectly honest, I couldn't even see the wiring harness. I just ran the wire like an extension cord because that's all I could do in that moment. You really need to like have the car in a lift, look at stuff, pull things apart, put it back together to get a wire in the right spot. So thankfully the wire wasn't bundled with other wires because it would have just completely made a mess out of everything. And then the casings would have melted everything through everything. So the wire was actually ash and the copper wire, all the casing on it was just like turned to ash. There was like little remnants of red and the wire was completely naked. So thankfully the only reason we didn't have a bigger problem is because it wasn't melting against any other things. It was kind of only melting against the frame of the car. Thankfully, we didn't have a bigger problem than that. So, you know, the wire was so hot, it could have literally melted through like hoses that carry water, you know. It could have 
but would have, it's just like a hot wire through foam. And we had driven like four miles while the wire was just like smoking red hot. And like that initial smell, that really heavy, acrid smell was the moment that it made connection on the frame of the car. And now it's like four days after I initially put the wire on. So it was taking time to finally melt through and short out on the muffler and then obviously make make that that smell. But thankfully, we didn't have a bigger problem. But that's why I'd ever do electric work because I'm bad at it. <laughs> yeah. So oddly enough, last night I could not sleep and I was laying in bed looking at um, electrical systems for my Land Cruiser because I was thinking about adding a, another fuse block, you know, past the existing stuff so that I could add some more lights and maybe a compressor and some, I was just thinking about some different things that I could do. And so I was really just researching, you know, I don't know, what's the best way to go about adding that whole new electrical kind of arm. One of the things that a lot of people recommend is putting a circuit breaker, an inline circuit breaker for that, where you attach to the battery, if you're going to run a whole new thing and this probably wouldn't have applied in your case but it would have actually saved the problem i should have i should have put an inline in there i should have put an inline uh fuse but i was like eh, as long as nothing shorts out i'll be fine and of course something the only thing that happened yeah. was something yeah. shorted out so the importance so of that putting, actually hearing that story reinforces in my mind because i was kind of like well i mean it's a fuse box like does it really need a breaker in front of it as well but yes it does yeah for that very reason yeah because you know? it would it would stop everything past that point from blowing if something happened up front in the line from the battery it would stop it from blowing every fuse back there it would blow the breaker and then you could just flip the breaker back on after it was fixed. right so i watched hmm. uh this could be one of my recommendations but eric the car guy if you guys remember him eric the car guy he he does a lot of stuff on wiring so while we were driving i realized wiring the brakes properly with a with a brake controller up onto the dashboard was beyond our capabilities while we were driving which is why we went to big sky rv with the with the big little man at the counter and they said they didn't have the time to they didn't have the time to uh install it but then when taylor went in and did the ladies touch she got some guy to come in like Big little man should have made that offer. He's like, well, look, we can't have, we don't have time to install it. I try to make it clear to him that I'm a handyman and that I kind of can do stuff. Because, you know, you walk into these places, they just assume everybody on the other side of the counter is like a stupid idiot, like about as smart as a dog. You know, that's like your capabilities. You know, you know how to drive, but that's about it. So like, that's how the kid was talking to me. But when Taylor went in... should have been wearing your Carhartt shirt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a funny story I'll tell in a minute. And... uh so anyway, so Taylor went in and she sweet talked the guy and the guy offered alternate solutions where big little man could have said, we have this Bluetooth option, but you need to put a 12 volt wire. So the guy came out and he's like, look, this thing works, but it needs to have a 12 volt wire. I don't know if you're capable of that. I was like, I can. He went, okay, cool. So then this would be a good solution. And that was it. It wasn't like he didn't have to test my, you know, my acumen for, you know, setting a car on fire, which he would have found out I'm perfectly good at. Uh, this is my favorite episode. <laughs> I hope that I don't set my car on fire. You guys have got me worried now because I'm like yeah. taking this car apart and I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm, now I'm and I'm like considering electric conversion down the road. Oh you know? boy! Like, oh, that's like just asking for fire. Oh boy! <laughs> Make sure you put that wire inside yeah. a steel tube wherever it is. <laughs> Bob, do you have yeah. any fire stories? Um. Well, I mean, not not as good as your stories we a few years ago when we were doing the uh, april fools video that we did in the office where it was like a training video for i like to make stuff yeah we there's a scene in there where anthony's at a computer and he turns to the camera 
And then the computer bef- behind him catches on fire. I don't know if you remember that. But it wasn't oh, yeah, an yeah. effect. Like, we actually poured alcohol or something on top of that. And then Josh was down behind the computer with a little lighter and just, like, <laughs> lit the thing on fire. But the first time we shot it, we shot it in the office. And it... I don't remember exactly how. Somehow the floor ended up on fire. And <laughs> he was like, I don't, I don't remember. We poured it and it dripped down and then the flat, a fire jumped from the computer down to the floor and caught the carpet on fire really briefly and it was fine. But then we intentionally set a computer on fire a couple of times to get that shot. That's my fire story. I don't have much. This was That's not my first car fire story or experience. Um, so I, I, I'll preface this by saying I was very young. Uh, I was like 17 or 18, I think 17. And I knew nothing about cars. Couldn't, I barely know the front end from the back end of a car. Okay. But I had this uh, old, like 1982 Sunbird and it had a terrible oil leak, like putting a quart of oil in it every, every week or so. Right. And one of those times that I put oil in there, I forgot to put the cap back on. And uh, I, I, like oil went went everywhere, and I was like, "Oh, I need to drive home. I need to block off where this oil is coming out." So I, I put a rag in there, and hmm. uh, that rag eventually caught fire. <laughs> and we were on this overpass, and I just pulled over, and basically I just watched my 1982 Pontiac Sunbird burn <laughs> down to the ground. Oh no! Yeah. Um, my dad, who you know, he was a car guy, he, he was just like, I can't believe you did that. What were you thinking? Like, you've just like, without saying it, he basically just said, you've ruined the Pachudo name. <laughs> 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 <He> was, <laughs> I mean, I, I deserved all of that because it was such a bonehead move. But uh, Dave, wow. uh, now you got to get yourself an 82 Sunbird and restore it just to, <laughs> to make the world right. That's what you should do. Yeah. You got to find a burned out one, though. Right. Start there, right. Work your way back. Right. I can give everybody a tip. So that, that was a different type of fire. So when you have a car fire, there's two fires. There's gas, you know, with a propellant like that or, or oil. Oil will mostly smoke before it ever catches on fire, so it'll smoke a lot. So if you're driving and a lot of smoke's coming off your manifold, that's the oil dripping on there for one reason or another. But when there's an electrical fire, the most important thing to do, if you can, is just pull the negative or the positive off the battery. And that will curtail any more heat being induced into... If by that point, everything is already caught on fire, it's a different story. You're doing the best you can. But if you see smoke coming out of wires, panic is important, but panic to take the terminals off of one of the batteries and that will get rid of, you know, the, the, the so-called propellant for that particular type of fire. That's uh that's real important to do that. So that's it. That's my, awesome. that's my car advice. Yeah. I didn't but know people don't come to the show for car advice, but I hope that we've given them something <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. useful this week. Uh, yeah, and, we didn't. Uh, we didn't have a topic. Week. We didn't plan on talking about fires the whole time, but that was fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, fire is fun. <laughs> I had Every another good. Knows so. Oh, you know, again, I can. I can get. You just reminded me of a shop fire incident, which is something really important to be aware of. Maybe you guys have experienced this. If you guys have a drum sander or a disc sander, and you're doing wood, 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 you're basically putting baby powder, fine powder in there. You know, even even if you have a vacuum going, you'll have some of that baby fine powder inside your your casing for your disc sander or, and then on that 
one second where you got to like make a bolt a millimeter shorter, you go over there and you, you make that bolt shorter and you walk away. Behind you could start a giant fire, which happened to me once in my old studio. In, in, in the 90s, me and my brother had this big like drive-in garage where we did all of our toy prototyping. And we had a, a stand-up Delta sander. It's a 12-inch disc sander with a 4-inch, 6-inch uh, wide belt, you know, kind of this classic-looking sander. And I walked over there, ground some metal thing, turned around, walked back, and my brother was up. We had a mezzanine. This was a big old shop. It was, it was you know, before the days that people were able to get a lot of money for real estate. We were paying a little bit of money for this place that was worth millions of dollars. And anyway, my brother from the mezzanine goes, look behind you. And I turned around and there was like 10 foot flames coming out of the thing. All, all the, the sawdust from like the previous couple of hours that I was doing woodwork had caught on fire. And the whole thing was a huge flame, but we had a big giant ceiling. It was all metal construction. There was nothing around it. So we didn't panic. It wasn't like, like if that was in a low ceiling, the flames would have been hitting the ceiling and like going left and right. That's how high the flames were coming out of this thing. So we were able to hit it with the fire extinguisher. So anytime you have a sander or, or if, let's say if you're going to use like a grinder or whatever. I've seen also belt, belt sanders go on fire because if you're sanding wood all day long and the wood is like encased inside the housing, you know, wood powder, and then you grind something like you hit a nail or you grind over a nail or like a, a piece of metal inside of a piece of recycled wood that could set the wood inside the belt grinder on fire. I've thought about the sparks because um, I try to separate, you know, metal and wood tools, but I have thought about the sparks before, but I never really considered the fact that when those sanders are running the RPM on them, they're creating a lot of airflow on the inside, whether that's coming out the, oh, ab- <laughs> the dust collection port or not. There's a lot of air moving, so a, f- a fire could take off pretty quickly with that. Huh. Another one shop fire, Brett could, I wasn't there, Brett, this happened to Brett, but so, uh, we we tried to reverse engineer what happened, but what we think happened was Ryan, who's, who's been staying with me, Ryan's been living with me, and now he's become my de facto assistant since Aaron's not around. This is like three years ago. Ryan smoked at the time. I don't think he smokes now, but he smoked a cigarette, snubbed it out with his fingers or whatever, and then put the butt in the garbage can. Now, like five hours later, that was in the middle of the night. Now, like five or six hours later, it's the daytime. He, he usually works middle of the night when he's fabricating. And Brett was in the shop and Brett said, out of nowhere, he smelled something funny in the shop. He's like, something smelled weird. He didn't know where it was coming from. He couldn't see any evidence of smoke. But about an hour after he, he recognized a weird smell in the shop, the garbage can exploded because there was a fire smoldering from the butt right next to a couple of old cans, old spray cans. So the heat was building up, even though the cans were spent it caused the garbage can to explode. And he said he heard a huge boom and looked, and like the minute he turned his attention, he said there was like a a giant pile of garbage in the air and then came back down and the smoldering, the fire was smoldering in the garbage can. So that's why I personally, in my, my shop, I always keep metal lids near every can. So the metal lid could prevent sparks from going in it, I, I only ever use metal garbage cans. This is like my little fire safety. And I always make sure that every metal garbage can has a metal lid. So I always use metal always use metal garbage cans is, is my tip. And uh, so, for instance, that day that that garbage can exploded, we did not have the lid on it. But if we had the lid on it, if we'd have known better, but, you know, you never know. If we put the lid on it, the smoke would have choked out that whatever was going on in there. It would have choked it out, but we had the lid off. And so it was getting some oxygen from the top. So on like a given day, if I do metal work, 
in the shop and I'm a little nervous that I want to leave and I'm like, I'm not really feeling secure that everything's safe. I put the metal lids on everything. So if a spark had leaked into a, one of the metal garbage cans, I'm mm-hmm. choking out that fire. So I don't always have the lids on, but if I'm feeling insecure, I'll go back and like, if I have three garbage cans in the area where I was working, I'll make sure the lids are pushed on tightly so that anything smoldering in there will be choked out. That's my safety, fire safety. Yeah. Fire safety's. Uh, I mean, in the shop is probably something that there's a lot more to think about. Uh, than what we kind of threw out today. Maybe we talk about it in the future. But. And definitely don't bring your car in the <laughs> shop and set it on fire. That's really De- bad. Or just don't <laughs> intentionally set your car on fire in any way, in any place, at any time. That's that's a good idea as well. Um, well, let's thank our Patreon supporters. Um, oh, we have a new one. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm going to stall while I look up their name because I forgot that we actually have a new one to put on the list. Um, so I'm stalling while I'm opening the list, but I'll go ahead and say thank you to all of them for their support, uh, for making the show possible. We really do appreciate it. And even a dollar per episode from uh, a lot of people makes a big difference. And so we're grateful. And all those people get the after show, which I have a pretty gigantic secret thing to talk about this week. It is, it is pretty oh. gigantic for Ooh. patrons only. Um, so I will talk about that in just a minute. I'm trying to get to the list of the new person. I can't get there. <laughs> Almost. Almost there. Load Almost Patreon. There. The new patron <laughs> uh, is named. I can't get there. Another... Uh, well, while you're getting that, uh, another great resource if you're into restoring cars, it's a it's a it's another membership site. Uh, it's called Classic Car Restoration Club. They've got like hundreds of videos of just doing. Um, like I, I just watched one on changing from a bench to bucket seats because that's one thing that I wanna I wanna do in, in the car and. Um, just watching videos like that just gives you the confidence like, oh, other people have done this. This is a common thing. You can do it. So that one is called Classic Car Restoration Club.com. Car Restoration Club.com. Correct? That it? Awesome. All right. So yes. I do finally have the list. Our new patron at our top level is Full Steam Designs, and that is run by uh, Chris. Chris Powell. So, Chris, thank you for jumping in that that new open slot there. But we thank also you. have other people at that top level. Odin Leather Goods, Rich at Lowen Designs, Blondie Hacks, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations. You can make this too. Chad from Mancrafting, Works by Solo, Albers Woodworks, and Corey Ward. And like I said before, there's a bunch of other people that support at all different levels, and we are legitimately thankful for all of them. So, um, And if you want the after show, if you want to hear secret stuff, pretty big secret stuff this week from me, Go to patreon.com slash gigantic. And it's big, pretty, pretty gigantic. big or gigantic. <laughs> Does that work? Okay. Okay. So since we're on the, the car topic, um, my recommendation for this week is one that I may have talked about him before. I don't know. Uh, Donut Media. You guys watch Donut Media? I love Donut. It's it's one of my top five it favorite is channels. so good. On YouTube. And it's funny because... So good. Somebody recommended them to me a couple of years ago. And I was like, 
I, I briefly, you know, glanced at the videos and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm not really a car guy. Like, I don't, it doesn't really seem, I don't know, you know. And I watched part of like five seconds of one video and just kind of blew it off and didn't really think anything about it. Then when I got the Carmen Ghia, people just kept saying like, you know, go watch Chris Fix, go watch Donut Media, go watch a couple other things. And so finally I went back and tried it out and I'm like, good grief. It's so good. They have fantastic hosts who are really energetic and great on camera. They're sharing a huge amount of information. They're fun to watch. They have a great time. It's all types of cars, not just, you know, race cars or trucks or whatever. It's everything. And so now I've kind of fallen down the rabbit hole of watching a bunch of stuff that I'm not really even that interested in just because it's so well put together. And, uh, I mean, this just goes to show that, that, uh, you don't click on my, uh, my recommendations. I, sometimes I do. <laughs> sometimes I don't. And it's not personal. It's just, I'm just, I'm yeah. just messing with you. I know you're not, you're not, a you're not, you're not a big YouTube I'm watcher. Not. Yeah. But Donut Media was one of my picks a couple yeah. months back. Um, so I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying I, their stuff. I just, it is it is so good. Their their hosts are absolutely amazing, and they put out videos almost every day, maybe maybe every day. Um, and you don't have to be into cars to watch it because they're they're just that good. So the the one that I've been watching the most of lately is they have a a series called Hilo, and they have. Um, Two of the hosts each got the same um, Toyota Tacoma truck. And every episode, they take some upgrade to it. And one of them gets the expensive version. One of them gets the super cheap, you know, super, super cheap version. And so they install them at the same time. And then they take them out and they run tests on them next to each other. And it's it's awesome. And it's given me, I've learned a huge amount about suspension and about uh, differentials and like all sorts of stuff that I just... I don't know. I didn't really need to know, but now I know, and it's pretty awesome. So, good stuff. Jimmy, what you got? Um, a couple things, considering this was the 20th anniversary of the World Trade Center attacks this Sunday, Saturday. Uh, a lot of people asked me what my experience was, and if you go and listen to the Full Blast podcast, which was released that Friday, you'll hear me and Jeff Fader talking about uh, our personal experiences on the day of the World Trade Center attacks while we were in New York. It was sort of an unscheduled conversation that we had. It wasn't really why we got on the podcast together, but considering uh, we're both New Yorkers, a conversation came up considering the timing. And uh, so you hear me tell my story and Jeff tell his story. And uh, a lot of people were, were very happy to hear the story. I mean, obviously it wasn't a happy event, but they were you know satisfied the curiosity and you hear a little bit of insight about what happened that day and, you know, my personal experience. So if you wanted to listen to that, go listen to Jeff Fader's uh, episode with me um, on the Full Blast podcast. And then yesterday driving, we drove yesterday morning, we woke up in Chicago. Well, we left Chicago yesterday morning at like, well, we left, whatever, we left, we drove all night, I literally drove like 20 hours yesterday. So I listened to a hundred podcasts while I was driving. And uh, one of which was revisionist, maybe I'm saying it wrong, revisionist history by, uh, is that Gladwell? You know what I'm talking about? What's his name? Uh, my, my Gladwell. Yeah. Yeah. Gladwell's, uh, his last episode before the 9-11, uh, 20th anniversary was about memorials. And he talks a little bit about the uh, reflect, well, he talks a lot a bit about the reflecting pond and the, and the, the technical, uh, the technical stuff behind the, 
the uh, World Trade Center Memorial in, in place, the one that's in place with all the names and stuff. is very interesting to hear. And, uh, you know, all the names that are on the two rings around each reflecting pond, it took somebody two or three years to organize the names. So the names are near people that potentially knew each other, which is incredible. Oh, wow. Even people, yeah. people, there were people on the planes that knew people in the building. So this person researched everybody's name and oh my goodness. what relationship they had to somebody else in the incident. And so all those names are not in alphabetical order. They're in potential order for where they might have been, you know, on which side of which building and, you know, what relationship they may have had to somebody else. So she said she literally made a connection between names across all 3,000 names. Pretty incredible. So there's a lot more details like that. So check out that episode of Revisionist History by Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, it was it was it was incredible. I, I've been down to that place just once. Uh, no, a couple times to see Patrick, but I never went into the actual um, museum that's underground over there. And I've been thinking about going down there. So uh, I, I know it's going to be a hard day for me when I eventually do do it. But one day soon, I think I'm going to go see it. Yeah, that's it. All right. Well, um, you guys got anything else for this show? I have a pick. Oh, I thought your card... Club Classic Car Restoration Club cars. Oh, was the oh, thing. Sorry. Uh, that was that was filler while you were while oh, you were looking gotcha. for Thank for a you. name. Sorry. So my actual pick is is real quick. Is Metal Shop Masters is a new show on Netflix. Um, it, it tip. Unfortunately, it's like typical competition show feel. I don't really enjoy that. But yeah, but the artist on there, they make it's it's an art competition and it is holy cow amazing. And Jimmy's pick from a few weeks ago, Avon Eiler, is on there. Do you know I, I think he was your what's it? Am I did I I'm not sure if I know that name. Maybe it's a different name. I think I know uh, or, or, I, Ivan Ivan Eiler. I don't know. Uh anyway, he was somebody's pick on some show. Could have been the show, but some guy I follow on Instagram, uh, he is on the show. He's amazing. The show, the stuff that they make on the show is amazing. It's it's really Leah cool. Leah uh, Apricock. I'm not sure I always say her name wrong. Leah Leah Apricock is on the show, and so is uh, Ray. I, I can't remember Ray's last name, but she's also on the show. She's these are Instagrammers I follow. Um, I'll find her full name here in a second. Ray, 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 Reggie, or something is her name. I, I, I never know how to say last name. I'll find it. It's just fun listening. You it. try to make it up. And Jimmy, I have a set production question about the show, the NBC show, making it for you right. in the after show. Okay. All right. Well, let's go do that right now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll Thank you. Catch you next time. It, we, this has not turned into a car show. I, I, I promise. <laughs> next episode. We're all about paint. R.I.P. Norm MacDonald. I'm trying to say Norm MacDonald. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. Oh, Norm man. Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Funny guy. All right. That's it. Sorry. You didn't say I love you. I, I, I love you. I, I love you. You know, it's implied. <laughs>